Hi, this is Roseanne, host of California Dreaming, a podcast that brings you true crime tales from the Golden State, and you are listening to The Concession Stand on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to The Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and TV to consoles and video games, don't let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the Concession Stand Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad to have you on board for episode number 50. Wow! I'm Nick Howell, and sitting across from me, as always, is Mr. Andy Nelson. But tonight, we have a special guest. Yeah, we will proudly introduce him in just a second. But coming up later in the show, we'll talk about some DC Universe casting news, Amazon further cementing their place in the movie business, and one of the best movie franchises in history may be getting a sequel after a 20-year hiatus. What? But first, but first, let's crack a beer and get right into it tonight. Mm. Well, Andy, it's Halloween, so we would be doing ourselves a big disservice and our listeners a disservice if we didn't talk about scary movies. Ah, it's something I don't usually like to talk about, but we brought somebody in to help us out with this. He is a friend of the show. He is your co-host over on the Busted Wide Open podcast. He yep. is a friend of ours, and this guy is an expert about a lot of things. You know he knows about wrestling, but you also mm-hmm. probably don't know that he knows about comic books and movies, but a specific shout-out to him because he knows a lot about scary movies. When I need to know something about it, I go to this guy. Welcome, Sir Ian Dangerous, to the Concession Stand Podcast. Yeah! Hey! Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I All very right. much appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you here, Ian. So we wanted to bring you in today specifically because it is Halloween. We have to talk about scary shit. Horror movies in on a TV and film podcast is this kind of a staple of of what we talk about during Tis the Season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Hey, that's my line. No, Debatable. No, no. It's not your line. Sorry. Oh. You have to share it with the rest of us. We do that, too. So uh, why don't you give, for those that don't listen to Busted Wide Open, uh, why don't you give us an introduction, who you are, and why why we've brought you in here today. Well, yeah, my name is Sir Ian Dangerous. That's the gnome de plume that I go by on over on Busted Wide Open, which is our podcast that we do about professional wrestling. Uh, As Andy mentioned, I am a huge horror fan as well. I'm a nerd for horror movies. Uh, I watch a ton of them. And in fact, actually, every year I do do like a marathon in October. I do one movie every day for the month of October, 31 for 31. Yes. Uh, I'm in the middle of that right now. My my eyes are bleeding from all of the horror movies that I've already watched <laughs> oh this year. So, Speaking yeah. of torture porn. Uh, so, I'm a, so I'm a big horror fan. I, I'm, I very much appreciate you guys bringing me in. I'm, I'm curious to see what we're going to talk about, and I'm, I'm excited to, to get into it. Well, I think one of the big things we want to talk about is, uh, you know, just kind of the evolution of horror and where it's going because uh, all of us are kind of the same age. We all grew up with the same kind of icons, if you will, in the 80s and those kinds of movies. But we to understand where it's going, we kind of have to look at where it's been. So we kind of wanted your expertise today on looking back over that, describing the evolution, how we got to where we are today, and ultimately ending up where where we think things are going. Yeah, I think there's going to be interesting speculation as far as where it's going because really at the end of the day, it's you know music, culture, you never really know. You can make an educated guess. And I think that the, the best way to make an educated guess, as you said, is to look back over history. And I think that it's a, a particular, right now, where I think it's going, or I think where we all think it's going, uh, it's particularly relevant to go back and look at our childhood and our the movies that we grew up with because they were iconic for the time. And in some ways, they are still relevant, uh, even though a lot of the movies that that we saw as kids, or or that came out when we were kids, that were you know pop cultural rever- pop culturally relevant. Right. Excuse me. Uh, they they have stood the test of time in a lot of ways. They have characters that are still iconic. Uh, in some ways, secondary only to the Universal monsters, which are probably the most iconic horror things in in, in history. You're referring to. Frankenstein, Frankenstein Dracula, Dracula, Invisible Man, sure, Wolfman, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, even you know, you got you have Guillermo del Toro coming out with the Creature from the Black Lagoon movie ish kind of thing in the next year. It's like a romantic story with a fish man. So it's <laughs> oh. yeah, and I'm actually looking for the shape, the shape of water. I think it's yep. called. Yep. Uh, but I think that it's very relevant to look back 
at when we were kids because that was a particularly interesting time in horror history where you had the rise of the slasher film yes. right throughout the late 70s with Texas Chainsaw Halloween and then in the early 80s with Friday the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street Child's Play etc and all of the other movies that, that came out in that time of that genre as well as in the time you also had a whole bunch of creature features like evil Muppet kind of things you know ghoulies gremlins critters critters yeah. sure um, and a lot of the other kind of goopy movies that came out at the time you still had some zombie movies going on like return of the living dead and uh, day of the dead came out around that time the 80s 70s and 80s are really like a high watermark in horror in history and then you can see a lot of of uh stuff as far as the the timeline of horror movies really converging in the 80s and creating a lot of very memorable movies and memorable franchises so it's a good place to start looking at. What, what, what kind of movies do you guys remember from that time? Well, you brought up slashers as one thing. I wanted, kind of wanted to start there because those are the icons that we probably remember most and, you know, frankly, are getting a lot of the love and reboots and things like that over the course of the last 15 years or so. So, I mean, what defines a slasher and where did they come from? I mean, how did we get those kind of iconic legends that stood up by themselves, built entire franchises around them? Well, interestingly enough, the, the actual subgenre of slasher, you know, quote unquote, a slasher film is a really narrow subgenre of horror. Interesting. When you, when you talk about a slasher film, you're talking about a very specific set of tropes in a movie that define it. And then and there's not a lot of them, relatively right. speaking. Um, you know, they, they came up from a very few select specific movies, Peeping Tom and, and Don't Look Now. And, um, and even Texas Chainsaw, I would say, is a proto-slasher. It doesn't even fall into all of the major tropes. Halloween is the first movie that really gave us all of the major tropes of the slasher. The final girl, having the, the antagonist be somewhat iconic visually. Uh, and almost usually, an anti-hero kind of thing because you're rooting for him at a certain point. Almost anti-hero-ish, but that even, you know, you see that sort of thing back in the, in the Universal Monster movies where, you know, the bad guy is almost the hero or he's the he's the reason you're going to go see it right. uh you're seeing it for the creature not necessarily for the people the creatures taken out if you look at like halloween and you look at friday the 13th and you look at nightmare on elm street the original movies in those movies you are scared of that monster monster or slasher i guess in this in this case but then what you're saying nick is like the whole evolution of starting to root for that person do you think as the sequels start to go that they kind of become the hero because you're rooting for them to figure out how they're going to kill the person the next time is that what it is look at godzilla okay. look at dracula look at frankenstein look at the wolfman look at anyone where this starts off with the creature as antagonist and at a certain point the creature becomes the star and either they become a good guy like frankenstein eventually became a sympathetic character yep. he was sympathetic in the first one becomes more sympathetic as as history goes on even dracula with interview with the vampire you have a sympathy for the devil situation where at a certain point vampires became uh almost a hero character as well okay. um you had main characters that were vampires and and they were sympathetic so in some ways that's that has a that has a historical precedence to the monster becoming uh the main character of the story um and as you said in all the slashers some of them you started rooting for the villain more often than not sometimes it's because the filmmakers intentionally made the 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 kid characters of the victims um, less sympathetic. You know what I mean? Like you didn't, unlikable in a way too. Unlikable. It's the frat uh, boy. You, you want him to die. Let's how's he, how's Jason going to get him? You sure. Like that kind uh, of the, the, the cheerleader. You know, oh, I hate cheerleaders. Let's get it. You know, uh, it would usually be kind of the quiet, sweet girl next door. The final girl who would uh, escape, right. right? She would. Uh, she, and, and of course there's been, pages and pages written about what that represents and what that means you know that the the final girl takes the phallic object from the uh from the <laughs> evil man and then overpowers him with it you know whatever we could that's a whole rabbit hole we could get down but the 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 end at the end of the day yes the franchise continues based on the creature and so at some point that is the reason to go see it okay so what differentiates a slasher film and a creature feature then not, you know, interestingly, not necessarily that much. Usually slashers, though, are uh, they have a bit of history with Jallo and uh, and German creamy films. Uh, huh? Italian. So Italian Giallos are, are like murder crime movies. Uh, the term Giallo comes from the like they, they originally were paperbacks after the war okay. uh, huh. that had yellow covers. Huh. And Giallo is, is the Italian word for yellow. So the, these kind of crime stories they would make movies of these and, and quite a few of them would end up having supernatural elements sometimes or but they would often be very lurid uh stories 
And so you had a lot of these Jello films that would cross over into horror pretty easily. Uh, technically, Suspiria, which is one like a legendary Italian movie, technically that's a Jello, but it has a whole lot of semi supernatural elements and <laughs> and horror tropes that you wouldn't necessarily see in a crime film. One of the things that you see in those is the idea of the knife wielding psychopath or the weapon wielding psychopath, and that's something that evolved into becoming the kind of the antagonist in slasher films. So the most slasher films, you don't necessarily see uh, elements of the supernatural, although you can. Right. Child's Play, the killer is a animated doll. Even you know he has the soul of a serial killer, but it's you know it's a doll. Uh, Freddy, obviously, Freddy is a is a nightmare demon kind sure. of thing, right? But Jason can come back to life when he's underground and get struck by lightning. Sure, but that that but that didn't get established till later in the series because they had to keep bringing him back, and it kept getting more and more unrealistic to bring him back. At Got the it. beginning, it was his mother who was a serial killer. The first Friday the Thirteenth right. is actually very much. You could, you could that could easily have been a giallo film because there weren't really any, any elements of the supernatural in it. It was a crazy woman killing students at a, or killing, killing uh, campers at a, at a summer camp, right? And that's why we brought in Surrey and yes. he's telling us all this stuff. We had no idea. <laughs> yes. this is all news to me. Well, one of the big questions is if we look at the the genre or the subgenres of slashers and creature features, we haven't really seen that much of them, so to speak. Uh, you know, especially in more recent times. What happened? How did they die off? Why haven't we seen those that much? Well, as I said, you know, slasher is such a narrow genre that when uh, after after the they kind of got bloated and self-aware and redundant in a lot of these sequels for the slasher movies, what happened? In the in the 90s, all of a sudden Scream came along, right? right. And the Scream, the right. very point of that movie was to make a self-aware slasher film, and it was parodying the genre, it was a satire of the genre while still kind of being a newer slasher film, it was very meta. Yeah. Right? True. The only downside of that is it kind of killed the genre because it, it it pointed out all of the predictable tropes that had happened in these sequels that had become so redundant. And so then it wasn't really possible to make more of them without putting in twists and being self-aware, and it effectively killed the genre. But in a really cool, clever way, right? I mean, let's let's not let's not forget when that movie came out, it was groundbreaking. Like we hadn't seen anything like that where it sort of pulled the envelope or pulled the window back, and we got to see. It was still scary in its own way, but like you were kind of playing along because you were a fan or you kind of knew how these movies worked, and it kind of took it and flipped it on its head a little bit. Absolutely, no. And and the fact that Wes Craven directed it, you know, right. the, the guy who yeah. did Last House on the Left and and Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street, and uh, Hills Have Eyes. I mean, he has a horror pedigree. Um, you know, for, to have him direct it and still be able to bring the kind of horror, uh, you know, history that he had to that movie. The first scream is absolutely a so horror. Good. It's a horror classic. So good. Unfortunately, it also functions at the time as the death of the genre. And, yeah. you know, you had other sort of semi meta ones. I know what you did last summer and yep. stuff like that yep. after that. And it essentially, but it essentially killed the genre and no one knew where to go. And the second half of the nineties was effectively a horror wasteland. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, in my, in my 31 for 31 horror movie marathon, I try to do at least one movie from every decade since the fifties, fifties and before. And then every decade after that, I try to get at least one movie in. And the nineties is always the hardest decade to get movies out huh. of because there's so much crap. There's nothing really good Interesting. from that uh, from that decade. If and you could it, ask Wes Craven today, do you think he would have done it differently? Do you think he had the foresight to know what he was going to do to a genre that he, frankly, was a mastermind of from the 80s? I, I mean, if I could ask him today, I'd have to do some digging. True. But uh, the fact is, is that I, I believe reading, I read an interview with him once where he did, he, he doesn't regret Scream because it was a successful movie. Right. But he do, he was aware of what it did to the genre. What he was doing, and and look at what he did with New Nightmare, where he went back and made Nightmare on Elm Street very meta. You yeah, know, he kind of went into this meta phase, and then really, arguably, never pulled out of it. Like his career never really recovered after that. He didn't he didn't find a second wind, um, and it took a lot of other directors and other genres coming in to revitalize horror after they'd effectively killed the American slasher film. Did hmm. they kill it, or did the Wayans brothers kill it with Scary Movie? Uh, I, I, you could argue that it's, that it was a, a group effort. Uh, it was a lot of things that killed it, but also, you know, to, to, to spread the blame out evenly slasher movies killed themselves. Mm. You know, they started, they started, <laughs> no they, pun they, right. Yeah. They, they, they were, uh, becoming obsolete. Yeah. Well, let's go back and talk about creature features. Cause that's one of my favorite 
fun horror movies, if you will. I, I have more fun watching those because there's a comedic element to the cheesiness of the puppetry and the animatronics and all of that stuff, too, that you really have to take on board. But, I mean, if you look at movies like Gremlins and Critters and Ghoulies and those kinds of films... Those were a lot of fun to watch. It was approachable, I guess, or digestible as a kid to an extent, but there was a whole other dark side of the creature features where you look at things like Dark Crystal, Never Ending Story, things like that, that you could throw into that creature feature sort of genre, but what happened to those? Why have we not had, is it the CGI taking over? Partially, I mean, you could make that argument that that's partially the case is that, you know, part of the charm of those movies was the practical effects, was the puppets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and and there's other ones that they tried, like they tried to revitalize the um, universal monsters for kids at that time with, with yep. Monster Squad. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, Which is fantastic, by the way. You could argue that Goonies in some ways is a creature feature with, with Sloth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot of movies that were kids movies at the time that were on the edge of being a creature feature. Uh, Gremlins it's was marketed as a kids movie. That's it was a total well, horror movie. It, but it was it, Gremlins is one of the reasons why they created PG thirteen. Right. That and and uh, and Temple and of Temple of Doom were the Ooh, reason they created fact, the, kids. They created the PG thirteen because it was too mature for kids, but it wasn't exactly so mature that you needed an R rating, and they wanted to make it still profitable. Yeah. Because if you made it R. You know, at the time, the thought was no one's going to watch Gremlins, or they're not going to hit their target audience, which was a younger market. You know, you market so, the Mogwai to kids. You market, you know, Indiana Jones to kids. I had a Mogwai, sure, so did doll, I. You know, or I, you know, I had a Gremlins doll. Like, absolutely, Gremlins was iconic when we were kids, even though it was like when you saw it, it was freaking horrifying. And I won't, show, day, it to, I won't so, show it to my kids. No, no. I, why would you? There's, you know, you have old ladies Terrifying. getting thrown out of windows. You know, it's it is a it is a freaking scary movie. Wow. Um, <laughs> But th- that's the thing is that you had all of these creature features that were ostensibly almost kids films. But looking back at them now, we go, wow, that was really mature for yeah. kids. That was, that was messed up. You know, Dark I, Crystal. Is, but you, then they you made, also mentioned the, the animated ones as well. So Secret of Nim, uh, American Tale, all of those films as well could, if you looked at them, they could be construed as scary movies for kids. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's an interest. That's a whole other topic for another discussion yeah. is the kids movies in the 80s. I mean, you know, the, a little crossover I can make here to kind of bring us back to horror is if you look at how Freddy and Jason were marketed in the 80s, they were marketed to kids. Yeah. You had them hawking pizzas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Freddy, like when if you were a kid, you knew who Freddy was. They had a Nintendo game. They had actually oh, yeah. had the Friday 13th Nintendo Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there was definitely a crossover appeal with kids and these monsters and these slashers like that all became part of the kid culture of the 80s and as the kids grew up and became these cynical teenagers all of a sudden they realized it wasn't you know it's like all right we're kind of bored with this now and it all died in the 90s not me that was the progression i was always i was always afraid of it (laughs) well what are some of the other genres in the 80s let's talk about vampires uh splatter or gore kind of films what genres were in the 80s that maybe we're not seeing today, for example? Well, it's I, the 80s, like a lot of stuff kind of went so like vampires, I would argue, were there in the 80s, but they were they kind it's of like lost the, their way a little bit. You had Lost Salem's Boy Lot and Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Yeah, like it was it was kind of they were still doing them, but they were trying to find a new way of looking at them. And then, and, you know, Interview the Vampire, the book came out in 77, I believe. And then the movie came out, in, I believe, 91 or 92. Yeah. And that. You know, change vampires into being sexy vampires, and we were still. But then you had Bram Stoker's Dracula come back out with Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves, but that was not successful when it came out. That that was a bomb. Uh, It might have been financially successful, but the critics savaged it. Well, they hated it, but yeah, but it stood the test of time. It was Gary Oldman ham fest. If we're being sure, but it's. I mean, that's it did, and it's still like it's iconic visually in terms of how Gary Oldman looked. Twenty five years old this December. Yeah, and it's and I I think it's a great movie, but it is definitely very. It's a weird weird yes, movie yes. with the operatic score and everything. Um, but as far as like zombies and splatter, you mentioned that zombies were huge in the eighties, but still very much underground that they, they were not the kind of pop culture sensations that you had with Jason and Freddie, you know, that the eighties is where we had the idea of zombies eating brains from return of the living dead. Um, you know, you, you had George Romero coming out with day of the dead and, and continuing his, you know, his idea of having social consciousness in zombie movies, but they were still very much more underground. It wasn't really a, a major, uh, pop culture genre at the time. And as far as splatter movies, now you're talking about really underground. Um, you know, the late eighties, we saw Peter Jackson come along with bad taste and the, the kind of, uh, the New Zealand splatter, uh, stuff, 
Um, you had a there's a quite a few splatter movies from the 80s that I still enjoy, but that was such a like that was if you were deep into horror. Yeah, you watch those. You know what I mean? And you, um, and even some of the more mainstream ones, Hellraiser arguably is 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 a uh, very gory movie. Yes. Um, I wouldn't call it splatter per se, but it's sure gory. It's twisted. But it got it got lumped into the slasher movies, even though technically it's not a slasher. Um, it, but because it had that iconic main character, yeah, right. So it still gets kind of lumped in with those other movies. But uh, as far as like all the other movies, that all the other genres were kind of underground in the eighties, and that you didn't see them coming back in different ways until later. With whether it's sexy vampires, um, splatter became a lot bigger in the, like the late nineties and early two thousands, and and uh, you saw you know a lot of torture porn coming out around that time and new extreme back in the two thousands when everyone was kind of over the meta self-aware horror movies and everything started getting a little darker again. Yeah. Um, you know, and zombies of course would be the next big thing to talk about because 2001, you had 28 days later. Uh, and then shortly afterwards you had Zack Snyder's Dawn of the dead remake. And those two effectively jump-started yep. the zombies, which you're still seeing to this day. I mean, there, is no, there is no huge, walking dead without that stuff. No. Right? And that's the thing is we're, if we're talking about pop culture and, and greater awareness in terms of the population, Zombies, it started in the early 2000s, and it has been a long cycle for zombies because they, everyone knows zombies now. It's, it's to the point where I think zombies have become overexposed. Sure. And uh, I, I think we're at the end of the cycle. Everyone's sick of zombies. We're now at the point where the slashers were in the 90s, where zombies are starting to fade out. I think we saw um, in the early 2000s, you saw uh, J-horror, you saw Asian horror films either uh, coming out in the States or getting remade in the States, The Ring, The Grudge, you know, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and those had a, a, short, a t- short lifespan, but then they were so much en- uh, enveloped by their own tropes that they ended up dying out quickly, too, because everyone was like, okay, yeah, we've seen it. Um, you saw the like the found footage movies, yeah, the paranormal activities, kind or of even thing. Blair, like Blair Witch in '99. That started that, right? Um, Blair Witch rejuvenated. Yeah, it was definitely the most. It's I think well, it's definitely the most successful found footage film ever made. It didn't create the genre, but it definitely created a, an idea of how you could make a modern found fi- footage movie. Okay. Um, and a lot, and it's because found footage movies are so easy and cheap to make, the the market just got glutted with those and to this day you see people making found footage movies all the time yeah. with varying degrees of success mostly i would argue unsuccessfully because it's really hard to pull those off well um but that that would be definitely was a subgenre. and then you had like i was saying the the paranormal things whether or not they're found footage the idea of you know ghosts in the mm-hmm. house uh another big genre that's been going on is, like is possessions and exorcisms right that's kind of come back in less of a religious uh, undertone like you had in the late 60s early 70s with a lot of the satanism and and mm-hmm. whatnot that you had there that was specifically satanistic and, and anti-catholic yeah uh the modern ones are a little bit more removed from it and it's just a, more about the act of possession as opposed to the religious aspects of it there's one but, called devil's do where they go on a honeymoon vacation and end up in some voodoo tribe and get she gets impregnated with the son of satan and right. somehow end up back in their house she's scrubbing a pentagram out on the floor it has nothing to do with the Wonderful. church or with religion or anything like that but it's you know exactly what you're talking about yeah but, and, and it was still that element of both paranormal and found footage because they went back and watched a lot of the stuff sure right? and you, you see a lot of the crossover with the different styles and genres right. but it's it's still it's the stuff that's selling right now it's the stuff that's being that's that's popular but in my opinion we're kind of coming to the end of the cycle on a lot of those movies people are starting to have okay i've seen it you know, the paranormal activity movies, those franchises are, are pretty much dead at this point. They've, they've run them into the ground. Um, the exorcism ones there, I, I was doing my marathon this year and looking at Netflix and shutter and all of those. And, and there's just so many of them out. Um, I'm starting to see a lot more kind of psycho killer ones coming up, but there's nothing really standing out as being this big new genre. Everything seems to be spooling down right now at least at least from my perception of what i what i'm seeing coming out okay. which is why it's interesting that on this show we're talking about what's next for horror because i think we are at a point where there's going to be a major groundswell there's going to be a shift because everyone's sick of zombies um a lot of the other major genres that have been established over the last few years are starting to wind down yep. there's room for a new big thing to happen 
And it's just a matter of figuring out what that's going to be. Well, 2017 so, has been a huge year for, for films. Uh, well, in varying degrees. It's arguable. It's subjective. But two of the surprise hits of the last 12 months have been Stranger Things on Netflix and It and this get year. Out, and Get Out. And Well, Get Out, sure. Critical success, but whether or not it was a big box office deal is arguable. It, it did great it, it in the box office, I believe. And, and it's actually interesting because from... The standpoint of box office, I believe this year is down what double digits. It's ridiculous. From from I last year, I think we year. said October. We're going to talk about this. This, this October, yeah. we're going to talk about this next week on the show. This October was the worst month in Hollywood box office in a decade. Yeah, and so and I think that the fact that you had big successes in the horror genre within the last year, last couple of years, um, is indicative that it's still a viable genre. There's stuff there, but what is standing out? People what have an appetite for it. You mean? People have an appetite for it if it's if if they're given the thing that they didn't know they want, they'll go get it. They did, <laughs> That's a good way to put yeah. it. Did anyone know they wanted Stranger Things until they got it? No, no. no. But I, I don't know. I, I don't want to live in a and world that, that where it doesn't exist. And that and that was all word of mouth, right? I mean, last summer I'll never forget when my buddy's like, "You got to watch Stranger Things." Like, what are you talking about? It's some Netflix show? Like, yeah, but it's like it's based in the '80s. Like, it, it reminds you of all the stuff that you had like when you grew up. I'm like, all right, I'll watch. Yeah, it. I was and, like, and, oh my and, god, this is amazing! And I don't like horror stuff. And here's the thing, and that's the other interesting thing. What other movie? What was the biggest horror movie this year? It. It. By far and away, the biggest horror movie this year. Maybe of all time. If, after it's all said and done, it may be the highest grossing horror movie of all time. Right. Which is interesting because here was a movie that for the you know the last couple of years, we've heard it's being like, oh, they're remaking it. And everyone I knew in the horror circles was rolling their eyes. Oh, God, they're remaking it. I'm how putting my you, hand up. Guilty as charged. You, I, I did too. Yep. I was like, how can you, you know, Pennywise, Tim Curry's original Pennywise is iconic. Now, the, the original TV miniseries of it was, I think, inarguably terrible. Yes. It was really bad. <laughs> the only good thing about it was, was Tim, Tim Curry's Curry. Pennywise. Yes. And that scarred so many kids from the 80s. And Andy, I see you raising your hand that's over me. there. <laughs> that's Because me. that's the thing. That is another iconic movie villain. So we were all sitting there going, you can't, re- who's going to remake this? You can't remake Pennywise. And look at it now. We didn't know we wanted it until they gave us that movie that they gave us. And look at how they made that movie. It wasn't a straight-up horror film. It was a kid's adventure movie. It was Stand By Me. It was The Goonies, only with an interdimensional psycho-fear-eating clown. So there's a Netflix show called Stranger Things. It's a kid's adventure with a paradimensional flesh-eating thing, right? Call a, call a Demogorgon. Sure. And if you want to get super meta and crossover, one of the kids from Stranger Things is in Is in, is it. in it. Oh, my yeah, just God. Cast him, just cast <laughs> him in your Mind movies. Blown. and you'll No. Right. But it's, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is I think that we may be seeing a pattern here in terms of what the appetite is. And and that's that's one thing that I think going forward, maybe we could speculate on. So let me throw this at you. It is a reboot that worked. From a, we're saying that this it's a, something that worked because it's a kids' adventure thing. Now we've had a reboots of Friday the Thirteenth. We've had reboots of Leatherface. We've had reboots of Nightmare on Elm Street. None of those worked. Why? None of those worked because uh, I, you could say different things for different the different movies. Um, there was a remake. Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween uh, is an arguable success. The sequel was god awful, but you know some people loved it, some people hated it. I thought it was a, a decent remake. The uh, original remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel was really good. Mm -hmm. They remade Dawn of the Dead, and look what happened. You know what I mean? So there has been varying degrees of success. Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street were notable bombs, uh, not necessarily because the lack of quality in the movies, because definitely they were shot well and and everything looked really good, but it was that they didn't really break any new ground on those characters or on those movies. They, they didn't do anything that was new and exciting. They just rehashed the old thing, but didn't we, 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 we saw them and we were like, yeah, that's kind of what I remember, but it just doesn't have the same magic anymore. I, and to be honest with you, I can't even really put my finger on it because um, I, I liked the new Freddie. I liked the way that and I liked the new Jason, I liked the way he was presented, but the movies themselves just were kind of dumb <laughs> they, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not like the original slashers were that smart. I watched Friday the 13th part three again for my marathon this year. And that movie is freaking God awful. I was going to make the same comment just now. Cause the original movies, they weren't that good as kids. When we were watching them, they were horrifying. They were sure. terrifying, to but us. you but, have that nostalgia and you remember them yes. being horrifying, terrifying, and they were great. So does you go that watch work- them again now and you go, wow, these really weren't. That so does good. that what work for it? Because a clown, an evil clown to most people is still terrifying. 
Uh, partially, Whoever and plays also it? partially because, again, the original, we, you know, we have these kind of gold memories of it being really scary. It's not really that scary. He's scary in it, but it's not. It's not that good. That original one. This one, they made a good movie and just happened to have a scary clown in it. Cool. Well, with these speculations of like where we're going and all of this stuff, what do you think is is next? Let's really nail that down to to kind of tie a bow on this because I'm really interested. If zombies are dying off and people are waning on those, there's a whole conversation we could be we could, that could be had about The Walking Dead and the success of that and or abject failure, depending on your perspective on it. But for the most part, it's been a success. If zombies are dying off, if found footage is dying off, and the iconic slasher stuff is is gone, what's next? Well, the thing is, I think that if you if we look at the industry, this show, you guys talk about the industry on the show. Like this right. is an industry show. If you look at the industry in Hollywood, the bottom line is money. What is going to be successful? Right. Um, and right now you're seeing... The, in the last couple of years, the really successful movies, uh, I would, and, I'll, and I'll even go back a couple of years and throw It Follows in on this. Sure. Um, you're seeing a lot of looking back to the 80s, but not necessarily using the tropes of the slasher film. You're starting to see a little bit more using the tropes of the kids' adventure film. And this is why we, you know, when we started off talking about this conversation, we talked about the creature features from the 80s, the, the movies that were kind of for kids, but not really for kids. They were a little bit more mature. Yeah. That seems to be what's being successful in the last couple of years. You know, it follows was essentially it was kind of a uh, uh, evolution of the slasher film uh, into almost a creature feature. Yeah, uh, it obviously is a creature feature, Ch- kids adventure film sort of. But it's a kids adventure film first and foremost, so and that's why it was things. most successful. Yeah, and the Stranger Things the same way. So I would speculate that studios are looking at the success of these things and saying, okay, what can we take? What lessons can we learn from this? to make successful horror movies going forward. Will we see in the next couple of years more dark fantasy, more kids adventure films, more creature features that, you know, f- that feature kids in it, then they try to go more for that younger market because that's, if you look at everyone at this Halloween, there's tons of Pennywise's yeah. out there. Yeah. That was a huge cultural moment. Was, was this movie of it? Like, I think that is going to be something that affects what Hollywood wants to make for the next few years. Now, obviously, obviously Hollywood isn't the be-all, end-all of horror movies. You know, horror movies are the movies you make if you have no budget and you need to make a movie. You make a horror movie because those will, for some reason, always sell somewhat. You know, you'll make some profit on them. Uh, and that, that, you know, if you have no budget, you can make one. I don't see a whole lot of independent people being able to make creature features because... Uh, at least not this kind of creature feature because it, it tends to be a little bit more expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have your monster movies in the indie horror movies, but, but they tend to be kind of rubber, you know, man in rubber suit. Yeah. And those are not as effective. That being said, I may be proven wrong and you may see people who have their, you know, home special effects set up and they can do these incredible things now on a shoestring budget with special effects. And you may start to see people on the indies doing more creature features like the ones we've been seeing in the last couple of years uh, that are a little bit more of these kind of 80s throwback style. So I I think that that's going to be something that you're seeing over the next few years is looking back to the 80s uh, and maybe even further and trying to find out what appealed to the the kids of that generation and what is appealing to them now. And And, you know... I don't know if you want to if, if you guys have any idea of why the studio heads I mean, be wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, if you think about it, all the people that grew up watching those movies and being terrified of them are the people that are now making them, and the people that are writing the checks. Bingo. Essentially, running Hollywood is yeah. what you're implying. Yeah, yeah. and it's same thing. With, same thing with comic book movies. All the people that grew up with comics are making the comic book movies. Yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah, but uh, but for uh, a couple of, of wrong turns, we'd be running Hollywood right now, and sure. that's our you know at our at our at our generation. <laughs> yeah. That's that is you know like we said when we started off on this. These are the movies we grew up with. Yep. Right, and now they're becoming that becoming uh, uh, in in pop culture. They're becoming more relevant again. Or that style, that feeling. Well, right. I'd be the first one to step up and say I would love a return to the Goonies, and you know throw. Uh, what was the one with Pony Boy? Outsiders and just the kids' adventure kind of movies 
Throw the Lost Boys in there if you want to. Those kinds of th- the standby me's of the world and, and what we're seeing in Stranger Things, I would absolutely be on board for that kind of stuff. And it's it's rumored that there is a, a Goonies. It's been reboot. rumored, yeah. It's been rumored forever. It's been rumored forever, and you know this could be the catalyst that kicks it off the shelf onto some studio head's desk. But you know, and, you know? and to take that and kind of run with it, like what have been the most successful movies overall of the last five ten years? Comic book movies, comic book movies. superhero sure. movies, right? Movies where kids can look at them and say, there's a hero. I want to be that hero. Kids dressing up everywhere right now in Captain America and Wonder Wolverine, Woman. Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, right? Yep. So then you have these kids' movies where the kids are the heroes and they're having to fight against these horrible things and the kids actually have to end up being the superheroes. So you're already having these successful movies where kids are fantasizing about being the heroes. And then in the horror genre... You could potentially have these movies like like we said when we you know with Freddie and Jason, those were icons to us. Like we weren't supposed to be watching those movies, but we did. Yeah. And that could be something that you see in the horror genre where the kids that are going for horror movies are going for the ones where the kids are the heroes. It's shocking to me that there hasn't been a remake of a Goonies type thing. I mean, the closest they came to something that was like kid cast with like a creature was I think back to Super Eight. That had like a whole like a, a really strong kid cast. This is like you know another pre- one that was a complete throwback to the eighties. Exactly, and it was successful for its own time, and critics liked it. But it didn't. It didn't. It's not something that people talk about in like pop culture. Like this is the thing, you know. It didn't set the world on fire, but like, but, it, but that's the formula that that needs to keep going. I think is what we're saying. But the but the fact of the matter is, you know, if we're if we're speculating that people who are working in Hollywood right now are making those kinds of movies, that was a passion project for J.J. Abrams. Yeah. That was something he's like, I'd like to do a Spielberg film, Spielberg 80s film. And he did. And And I think that is that is pointing to the fact that there is a want in Hollywood to create those. And now we're seeing them hit. You know, they've had a couple of hits with that style. And I think we're only going to see more of that in the future and, you know, more 80s synth music coming out on the soundtracks (laughs) well speaking of these throwbacks and stuff what's your take on the reboot of the godzilla franchise how it's gone so far with gareth edwards um and what we've seen out of things like cloverfield speaking of abrams uh things like that i'm curious do you can do you classify those as monster films are they more found footage where do you where do they fall in and where do you see those going well it's interesting because you know you can definitely say that a kaiju movie is a creature feature but there tends that tends to be kind of like slashers in, in the horror genre, it's a subgenre of creature feature that's pretty specific. Yeah. You know, whether it's Pacific Rim or whether it's the, you know, the, them trying to create the monster verse, I guess, because they're, they're, now everyone's trying to create universes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, looked at them, they looked at Marvel and they're like, crap, if we make all of our movies in the same universe, we can have so much crossover merchandise and blah, blah, blah. People will, will have built-in audiences that will go to our next movies because we have all of this stuff crossing over. And, you know, I, I, the thing that's sad to me is that they it's kind of they've had a failed experiment with Universal's Dark Universe where they oh, yeah. tried to yeah. they tried to make the Universal monsters into their own universe and then the mummy bombed and you know it doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore which sucks cuz I would love to have seen Russell Crowe as as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I actually enjoyed that movie. I thought it was. I didn't think it was, it was fine. bad. People I didn't think just it was hate bad. Tom Cruise because he's a Scientologist and they associate all that with him. And uh, Tom Cruise is fine. I enjoyed that movie. I actually just think it was there was no appetite for what that movie was presenting and how it was presenting. Maybe, it. maybe that's, I, that's I, fair. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think, I Do you think, think the it would have been a fine the right movie. one to start with. No, they and, that's, and that's part of the thing. Dracula or something. It's kind of like what's going on with DC, where they're trying to catch up to Marvel in two movies. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's it's not smart. It's oh. not smart building of you have to be patient. And they're not being patient with it. You know, you have to you have to lead the audience into it. I think the monster verse with the kaiju with Godzilla and King Kong, they're being smarter about it. They're taking their time. You know, you had the Godzilla movie, Stood Alone, the King Kong movie, Skull Island, right? Stood yes, Alone. Great movie. I think and both of those were I, I thought the Gareth Edwards Godzilla was fantastic. Me too. I thought Skull Island was really fun. They're they're slowly building that world they're not moving too quickly with it i think that they're gonna have more success with that because of that those are confirmed they're being they're being done we've talked about those in previous episodes for sure yeah well ian thank you very much for for joining us and giving us this kind of tour of horror i have so much more that i would i think we could talk about this for about four hours and we very well might at some point uh have you back and, and talk about this but let's tie a bow on this with some fun stuff yeah. We used to do this thing on the concession stand at the end called fun stuff and yep. lightning rounds and all that right um let's talk about fear it is Halloween. It's scary time of year. We watch scary movies. We like to go out and get scared by people in costumes. 
I'm going to start with Andy because we know he's a little scaredy cat, right? Yeah, I sure am. Andy, what is the scariest moment in a film that you've ever seen ever, ever? That's a tough question. Um, Everything? So uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to (laughs) say the things that there's things that stand out. There's. But they're they're not really scary moments, but they're moments that made my like like made my stomach turn. And I'm not talking about people getting slashed up into pieces. All of these are all like cerebral things. So I'm gonna the three that come to mind are the shining, when he looks down the hallway and the door opens and there's the dude in the bear costume and he turns and looks at the camera and that zooms in really fast. That terrifies me. I don't know why. Um, there's the scene in Dust Till Dawn where uh, the kid uh, starts getting like uh, Harvey Keitel is looking at his kid and his kid starts getting like uh, like eaten on his neck. And like I l- literally I get chills just thinking about that. And then there's another scene that drives me crazy. That's not even a scary scene, but it's the most depressing scene. So it, it ends up being scary to me. And that's the freaking horse going down into the swamp and never ending story. That's what I got. Well, yeah, done. it's, it's well funny because I do. I have played the never ending story at the bar that we all go to <laughs> on the TV. And, I'm like, and Andy will walk outside during that scene. <laughs> it's true. I can't. I can't I just go through with that. the foul. I'll try it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but as you guys know, I don't. I don't go out of my way to watch these kind of movies. I don't like to to see all of this stuff. Um, I'm aware of them, um, and I'll watch them and I and I get through them if I have to watch them. But I don't go out of my way to do it. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily like being scared like that. Uh, to me, it's it's like there's this weird thing with me and human suffering. I can't watch like, like MMA fights. It's just the way I am. But I could watch pro wrestling. Watch guys beat each other up. I could watch. Um, uh, saving Private Ryan and watch guys get blown to bits, but that that's somehow different for me. I don't know. There's there's something weird. But huh. the, the that's so funny because I would argue that Saving Private Ryan is about as close to a horror movie as a war I movie know, can get. I know, but there's something like it's just the way that my brain works. But I guess now I'll throw it to you, Nick. What's the scariest thing that you've seen in a movie? Um, for me, it's I'm one of those people that I laugh at most horror movies at this point because it's the between the tropes and between the the stuff that is so predictable and you can see it coming. And I'm mostly talking about the pop culture stuff that we get in the movies these days, not some of the stuff that you play at the bar, which is just wow. <laughs> uh, for me, the thing that still stands out, because I am one of those crazy people that thinks that aliens do exist, uh, I think that there is the paranormal still gets to me in a way. So the scariest moments in film for me have been the very end of Blair Witch when she walks into the the old house in the woods and... He's hovering there in the Spoiler corner alert. with his just if you haven't seen Blair Witch by now, you're <laughs> fired. Uh, if you when he's just hovering there, just limp uh, in the corner of that building. And then all of a sudden, bang, the camera drops and you kind of see him just hovering. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I've got chill bumps right now just picturing that in my head. The other one is from the first paranormal activity movie. And I remember this so vividly that as the first time where I just sat forward in my seat, mouth agape, just going, what <laughs> was when uh, you saw the chalk footprints really well done as they're they're filming, and then the scene after that where she gets dragged out of the bed, yanked down the hall, screaming, and the door slams. She's screaming for her husband. I'm getting chill bumps right now just <sighs> describing it. That's the kind of stuff that really f's with me. That really gets to me. It's the weird paranormal. You don't really know if it's real or not kind of thing. Horror movie and slasher and stuff like that. Teenagers getting cut up at camp. It's it's whatever. That's so, like birthday cake. Yeah. Why don't we turn it over to the yes. som- sommelier of of movie blood? Yes. So now that we've made complete idiots of ourselves, let's hand it over to the guy that actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> no, that's just funny because I think all those are completely valid. And there's a, and you know you guys have actually both brought up movies that were massively effective and and people you know they 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 that those are movies that there's a reason people watch those movies people who like to go to the movies and get spooked get scared get that whoo get that thrill yeah get that roller coaster thing going on they get the adrenaline flowing right those are the movies they go see and that's the reason that they go see them that's the reason those movies were successful um yeah, my problem is I don't really, I'm not really scared of anything anymore. Like nothing scares nothing me. Really oh, come on. Yeah, no, no, no. It's hold on, hold something. on. I, I'm coming around to it. I, in fact, this was a question. So I was on another podcast called Long Winded as Fuck. Yeah. Uh, go look it up. Uh, and that's a, it's like a movie discussion uh, podcast. And I was on, it, I was on it a couple of weeks ago. I've actually, I think the episodes are coming out now. And they asked me the same question, and I was. As the name of the podcast indicates, I was much more long-winded on that show about it, and I really went into some depth about you know what has scared me in the past. Um, but the 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 most the most fear I've ever felt from a movie. I'm actually going to divide this into two parts. When I was a kid, because when you're a kid, you're susceptible to all this, um, and I definitely had a lot more fear of movies when I was a kid because it was all new, you know. But then I had to divide it into as an adult 
what has scared me. Yeah. And I definitely have, you know, I have one that scared me as an adult, and it's weird. I'm going to get to that. The, when I was a kid, you mentioned never-ending story. Uh, the wolf yep. in that oh, one. Oh. The wolf in that one messed me up for years. Four years until I was in my teens. I couldn't watch that movie again. I couldn't even think about it. Destroyed me. And the very first horror movie I ever saw was Friday the 13th Part 3, which I revisited this year and haven't seen for decades. But that was the very first horror movie I saw when I was five years old. I watched uh, Jason shoot the lady in the eye with the harpoon gun. <laughs> and she fell into the water. I remember having bad dreams about it for weeks afterwards. Uh, those were the, that was the foundations of things I was scared of. And I realized that at a certain point I was going back to them in order to overcome my fears. And now I'm to the point where, you know, I can watch paranormal activity and, you know, like, uh, uh I think it was sinister. No, not sinister. It was, um, uh, insidious insidious. Thank you. Yeah. Was the most, uh, goosebumps jump scare I've had in the last few years. The demon shows up behind his head and that yes. little jump scare at the table. That one really, it jump scared me. I don't consider jump scares real scares like getting goosebumps it's where it sticks with me and the only movie as an adult that has messed me up that to the point where when i watch this movie i put the movie on at like 5 p.m and i had dinner while i was watching it when the movie was done the last shot of the film was what got me it gave me the goosebumps it freaked me out it just messed with my head and then the movie went to the credits and it was all this creepy music and like shots of elevators, you know, creakily going up and down. And I was so disturbed by, oh God. So I, I pushed stop on the, on the VCR at the time <laughs> and what I pushed, <laughs> pushed stop and the whole room goes black because oh. the, the tape stopped. And this, it messed me up so much. I had to press play so that I could get the light from the credits with the creepy music and everything oh, just no. to get to the light switch in the room. Oh, because it messed me up so bad. And that movie was Angel Heart. Oh, with Robert De Niro, De Niro. Yeah. and Mickey Rourke. Oh, and, my uh, God. And Lisa yeah. Bonet from uh, The Cosby Bonet Show. Lisa Bonet almost lost her career in The Cosby Show because yeah. of uh, yeah. the crazy blood-soaked sex scenes in that movie. Uh, yeah, but, but the ending, the final shot of that movie, and if, if you guys haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it, um, but it does have to do with my own predilections and things that I'm scared of, but uh, that the, the, the you'll never see. Mo- I, you know what a horror movie is to me? Knocked up. Knocked up as a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. When they said the baby crowning scene, I almost ran out of the theater screaming. Yeah. You know, but we, the, we call that birth control. Oh, um, but the, <laughs> it, that movie, yeah, that movie made it so I'd never want to have kids um, if, as if I didn't already. But the point is, is that like the angel heart is the one as an adult that still to this day, I think of that scene and I probably could watch again now and be fine. But yeah. when I first watched it messed me up. Well, that's interesting. I don't think I've seen Angel Heart in a really long time. I'm going to go back and revisit that one for Halloween this year. It's worth a look. It's a great movie. Yeah, I remember seeing it. I don't remember being as terrified at the end like you were describing. I don't want to talk about it anymore in case the listeners haven't seen it, but I do remember it being pretty pretty terrifying. Well, it's definitely a movie you want to watch without reading anything about it beforehand or knowing anything. Just go into it. Totally stone cold, knowing nothing, and it's much better that way. You, or it, lights on, apparently. Uh, for me, I'm never watching <laughs> with the lights off again. I just, I'm happy that I've now added to the list of movies that I'm not going to see by, right. by doing this podcast. So thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that. Oh, you're very welcome. Awesome. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you online or uh, throughout your entertainment journey that you do? Uh, there's lots of projects and things that you have going on. Where can people find you? Yeah, no, I, I thank you guys for having me on. It's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, you can find me also on the Orbital Jigsaw Network on the Busted Wide Open podcast yeah. with yourself, Nick. Yes, uh, it's a wonderful show. If you enjoy pro wrestling, if you want to catch up on the week's events in WWE and the world of professional wrestling, that's the place to go. Uh, you can find i have a couple of bands i'd like to plug yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, yes. I'm in two very odd very fun bands i'm in a, <laughs> a theatrical hard rock band called house of rabbits at houseofrabbits.com uh i'm in a, a post post futuristic afro funk band called the milky way it's I, online at the milky.com i didn't even know about that uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've got new stuff going on all the Sweet. time. Uh, like I said, I'm on the, I'm on another podcast called Long Winded as Fuck this week. You can find that on the Apple Store. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Ian. Yeah, dude. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Well, that was fantastic. Andy, how was your week this past week? Let's catch everybody up on the goings-on of the hosts of the concession stand. I talked about it last week. I got to see an advanced screening of uh, Midnight, uh, or Murder on the Orient Express, rather. Uh, I have been waiting with bated breath to hear about this. It's really good. And uh, we it was a special screening, and like we got this cool thing afterwards where Kenneth Branagh was there, and he talked to us, and, and uh, Josh Gad was there, and Leslie Odom Jr. was there, and the writer who just happened to write another movie called Blade Runner uh, 2049. He's doing really well for himself anyways the movie is really well done uh kenneth Branagh just absolutely kills it as uh, hercule poirot or whatever i forget how they how you say that uh detective's name but did he twirl his big fancy he mustache might, he might as well have uh but yeah it's <laughs> did he still have it at the screening no oh. no 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 it was it. Uh, uh josh had joked in the in the after thing he's like it's like that mustache is like we called it number two on the call sheet which basically like means that kenneth Branagh's the like number one actor listed and then number two was the mustache yeah so but, he has uh, his own credit in the film but, not really what he should like he said it was like a combination of all the greatest movie mustaches like smashed together i apologize and then, and i just assumed face. the mustache's gender by calling it he so i i'm gonna apologize i think that's a, i think that's a fair assessment right. but yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i i can't say enough about this movie it was really really well done well directed well acted the ensemble cast it's just like a who's who of all of these great actors if you know the story already which i did it's still good i would love to see reactions for people that don't actually know this agatha christie story because um the twists and turns in it are just uh fantastic and it's really really well done so uh kudos to that movie um i can't wait till the world gets to see it i think it's going to be uh definitely up for some oscars uh, if not oh, an really? oh yeah oh if man, not okay. an acting but at least like potentially cinematography maybe editing maybe sound effects editing we'll see um i also was able to go see uh, kingsman 2 finally the other night uh, with my wife uh it's just as good as the first one as far as the action and the fun stuff in it it doesn't have the the spirit as much as the first movie does like it needs a better villain um but should you see this movie if you love kingsman one you're definitely gonna like kingsman two you should go see that one other thing i did on saturday afternoon uh, i did get a chance to go to the la stanley's la comic-con um so i took my daughter who had never really been to like a comic-con at like an older age yeah and walked her around and showed her you know what the comic-con experience is like and there's toys everywhere and there's like there's unicorns and all the things that she likes and people in costume and she just totally dug it it was really cool and there was a moment where we were walking around and i saw a bunch of people holding their cell phones up like right in front of me like what are they taking pictures of it was stan lee himself literally walking within like five feet of us and i said to my daughter I'm like that's the guy she's like who is it i'm like that that's stan lee who's that daddy He's created all. There is no such thing as a Comic Con without that guy. Yeah, he created all of it. The entire Marvel universe. It's like that's the guy. And yeah, it was cool to be in his presence. Like Billy Bob Thornton was just sitting at a table there because he did a comic or okay. whatever. But yeah, uh, it, it took everything in my power not to buy every single toy there or get like <laughs> things signed by some amazing artists. Like Neil Adams was there, who's like one of the f- most famous artists from the seventies that, that drew Batman and Green Arrow and Green Lantern, and he was selling some stuff and. Oh, man, I wanted to get an autograph, but I didn't because I just decided I would spend the money on toys for my daughter and potentially some toys for you, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, how was your week? Uh, My week was pretty fantastic, uh, culminating to what is my 40th birthday today. Yes! So happy birthday to Nick. Great. It's a Monday. We're recording a podcast because that's what we do. Yep. We're going to go to the bar later. Yes, we're going to go to the bar. We wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, we got to meet someone who has been a guest on this show, yes. but, and we've played games with, mostly, most notably Destiny, uh, for the last two to three years, Tenacious Cleat. Yes. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you'll remember last fall, almost a year ago, we brought him in to talk about what it's like to be a gaming streamer on Twitch. And uh, he has continued to do so, has been done very well with it. Uh, but we finally got to meet him because he came out to L.A. with his family for <laughs> a gathering randomly. And the funny part about this is that he posted on Facebook that he was at this bar, which coincidentally is two blocks from my house. I know. And it just, you know, it was one of the, wait, you're at that bar? Yeah. That's it. Okay, Andy's coming up and we're, we're going to come see you. So we ended up going and hanging out with him. And we hung out with his alter ego of I don't know what this mask he was like is. a he was like a voodoo doll right, right? he was completely covered we didn't see his face yeah so in a weird way the anonymity so, and the surprise yeah. and the the uh, whatever you, the mystery yeah. is still like, there we know what he actually looks like right. but we didn't actually see what he looks like in person because <laughs> like his entire face was covered he had a bunch of pins in it like he's like a voodoo doll kind right. of thing and his wife did this like amazing makeup on it and they won like the costume contest that night at the bar they got like a hundred yes. bucks towards the bar tab so good on him for that she was dressed up like the voodoo like she <laughs> yeah. was the, the New Orleans yeah. kind of voodoo queen. It was really cool. Oh, it was awesome. She's great, too. 
Started watching Stranger Things, as I'm assuming most of you have listening to this show have probably watched it, if not twice, all the way through at this point. But I decided to kind of slow play it this year. Smart. I, I'm doing the same uh, thing. I, there are 10 episodes instead of 8. I noticed that right off the bat. So I'm going to try and do like an episode a week, because I really want to... I might even watch the episodes twice, because I really want to nice. digest what's going on this time, rather than just... All yeah. the way through it and then go, oh my God, I want more. And yeah. I can't have it for another two years. <laughs> yeah. I just watched, uh, all I did was watch the final episode from last season to kind of get myself in the headspace for yeah. it. But I just got I got tied up doing all the stuff that I was doing this weekend. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey came out, so I was playing that with my daughter. <laughs> it's so good, by the way. But yeah, what else did you do? Uh, I have been watching some some of the best baseball I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. And yes, we're in L.A., but I'm not really a Dodgers fan, but you're a Dodgers fan when you live in L.A. Sure. You're Dodgers, Lakers, or maybe Clippers. Yeah. Be clear. Uh, and Kings, Kings, right? Those of you that are Ducks fans, you're not really Angelinos. You're in that other O-County thing that's down there. Anyway, Dodgers versus Astros. And I'm a Texas Rangers fan, and I think I'm wearing it right now. So the Texas Rangers hate the Houston Astros. But I'm going to say this. The Astros, you have a World Series with two 100-win teams. It's amazing. And I'm apologizing to all of you listeners that don't really care about baseball. You're missing out on one of the classic World Series right now between two 100-win teams, because that never happens, with some of the best finishes. Last night, it went to extra innings with 25 runs scored wow. throughout the entire game. 12 to 13 it lost, I think, in, in the 11th inning, if I'm not mistaken. It's like a game of RBI baseball. It was over <laughs> five hours long. Wow. It was absurdly long, and some of the best baseball, the the drama and the anticipation and the home runs and everything about it, some of the best baseball I'm watching. So we're coming back to Los Angeles, I believe. Tomorrow uh, night. Tomorrow night. So we get two more games here, and we'll see what happens. A couple of other things of note in the TV and movie industry, but we should talk about that in some quick hits. <laughs> Zachary Levi has been cast officially to play Shazam. We finally got a Shazam star. Okay. I, I don't I need you to tell me. We know about The Rock and he's going to be playing Black Adam and it, it's still up in the air about whether they're going to be separate movies or together. Yeah, but The Rock has come out and said that they've decided to do separate movies but they're going to bring them together later. It's a big mess. I, I think it is. What the hell is going on with Jeff Johns and the guys over at DC, the DC Universe? Uh, my first thing is I was a bit surprised by the Zachary Levi choice as, as Shazam. I mean... Captain Marvel, as he's called, and not to be confused with Captain Marvel on the Marvel side, that's really confusing. But, you know, right. the Shazam guy with the with the red suit and the white cape, Shazam, lightning bolt, it's a kid that turns into a superhero. Basically, he's Superman. You mean the Flash? Kind of, but not really. <laughs> okay. Right, so, but, okay, Zachary Levi, he's great as, like, Chuck in uh, the Chuck show, and he was really good as Eugene in Tangled, and he played uh, one of the Fandral, I think, in uh, the one of the Thor movies, right? Okay. So he's got the comic pedigree. Uh, he's great on Broadway, and he's a he's a he's a charismatic guy. I I could see him playing the Billy Batson, the kid or younger version part, maybe, but I just don't see him as Shazam. And maybe they know something that I don't know. Here's the weird thing. So this is going to be produced not by Warner Brothers, but by New Line, which is sort of like an extension of Warner Brothers, sister company, correct? Yeah. But it's like a single movie, and they're going to start shooting this in. Uh, it sounds like February or March right to come out in 2019 now we've already heard for like a year that the rock is going to play the shazam villain black adam but not in this movie which doesn't make any sense to me so i guess they're going to bring out the shazam movie with zachary levi and then do the rock movie why would you not get the rock movie i get it that he's busy or whatever or why would you not put the rock in this movie i don't get it um i don't think they're trying to make the movies all talk to each other i think they're trying to create this separate like dc cosmic universe kind of like they did with guardians of the galaxy on the marvel yeah. side we'll see what this means i'm questioning this this uh, casting choice but they know stuff that i don't know i trust jeff johns we'll see what happens here in other news back over on the marvel side thor ragnarok uh, launched this weekend to the tune of $100 million internationally. Yeah, it's not even out here. It's not even out here. It debuted overseas and already grossed $100 million in its opening weekend. Yes. Wow! They just got to get, they got to just keep recharging the batteries on the Disney money printing press. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it looks great. Um, We'll, we'll find out. Hopefully, we get to see it this weekend when it comes out on Friday. In other news, Amazon has won the bidding war over the famed legacy area called culver studios now those of us here in los angeles and if you work here in the business you know what culver studios is but for those of us outside 
who uh, some might know it as the Sony lot, but they'd be mistaken. It's right next to it. But what is Culver Studios? So Culver Studios was where they filmed Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. where they filmed Gone with the Wind. In fact, the main building of Culver Studios is the actual plantation house from Gone with the Wind that exists down in Culver City, uh, right in my backyard. They're, they've got a couple of sound stages back there. I think the old Star Trek show was shot there. I Love Lucy was shot there. Um, the old Batman Adam West show was shot there. So these are old studios that they've been trying to rent out to somebody. And for a while, Apple was in talks to potentially to buy up this property and have their own sort of studio thing. So apparently Amazon has you know swooped in and, and picked this up. So they already have their Amazon Studios building, which is just a building of 700 people down in Santa Monica somewhere. Right. But now they are going to take over this 280,000 square feet of space with those 700 employees so as far as i'm concerned you could call like culver studios amazon studios now they actually have a working movie studio that that is there so they're in the game let's put this in perspective so in the late 90s amazon came out with a website where you could buy soap and stuff (laughs) yeah on on the the internets now they have a movie studio yes they do and a grocery store and apparently they're getting into prescription medication i i a la amazon pharmacy oh man Buy CVS, buy Walgreens. Yeah. You know, the brick and mortar thing continues. And I never thought it would get to those kind of retail things. But Amazon now has a movie studio. I want, uh, for those of us that are into TV and movies and in the industry, I think that's a big deal. And we need to really pay attention to what Amazon's doing over there. I wouldn't expect Apple's to be too far behind them. Yeah. They always kind of let Amazon take the first step into these things. And then they just sort of like, look what we did. And they pull an end around. But um, speaking of an end around, I guess it's not really an end around, but um, <laughs> Uh, there is one other big franchise that you and I both love, and yes. that is the Lethal Weapon franchise. Uh, say what you will about Mel Gibson. Those movies were fantastic. Even the fourth one and the third one, which weren't necessarily as good, but it was still kind of fun. Like they, in my opinion, they created the buddy cop movie. Yeah. Richard Donner uh, just carried that franchise. Beverly Hills Cop, you could throw in there too. Sure, yeah. but apparently they are in talks. There's, they have a screenwriter. Apparently Gibson and Glover and Richard Donner are on board to maybe make this happen. This is kind of like our Beetlejuice story from last week where it's like, yeah, they might make it. And we're like, oh, cool. And it's clickbaity, but like, I'd be I'd be excited to see another Lethal Weapon movie. Yeah, because I mean, what's Mel Gibson doing now? He's slumming it with Mark Wahlberg and yeah. Will Ferrell doing Daddy's Home too. Yeah, and like, <laughs> is it called Lethal Weapon Five? We're definitely too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shit, Riggs. Shit. <laughs> Fun drinking game. Go watch Lethal Weapon Two and drink every time uh, Danny Glover's character says "shit" or "Riggs." I'm already waiting. You'll be hammered by ten minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah. Last but certainly not least, I wanted to leave you guys with a little bit of a teaser for next week. So last week's episode, we talked about how Disney and Movies Anywhere were going to change the landscape around digital content and how users at home were going to consume this content going forward. Next week, we're going to talk about what's going on at the movie theaters themselves. We've talked a lot about the theater industry, uh, NATO, what's going on at the movie theaters and the box office this year. But I think it's all kind of coming to a head as we close out 2017 here. Uh, And we're going to talk about what's going on at the theaters, how they're trying to get people to come back into the theaters, and how, frankly, the news this week, October, October of 2017 was the lowest month in the box office in the last 10 years. That's crazy. And with the year that 2017 has had with some of the blockbuster tent poles that have gotten their sequels and their movies, I can remember going back to our episodes in February and March and saying, what a year this was going to be. Because starting with Logan and John Wick 2, yeah. there was a big, big blockbuster tent pole movie kind of franchise thing. Yeah. Every single weekend, all the way through the year, and it didn't help that Blade Runner was a big flop. I mean, that was True. that could have been a big one, but it just didn't perform. So we'll talk about all that next week. Yes, but first, I would like to go ahead and announce today that because you have uh, been alive and have been a part of the universe for forty years, sir, <laughs> oh, God. and I want to say a very happy birthday to you. Uh, thank you for being my friend for the last fifteen years. Uh, it has been my honor. It has been my privilege. Uh, all the great times we've had together. So I will give you, sir, the Stone Cold Salute. I said give me a hell yeah. Well, some quick notables from the Orbital Jigsaw Network that we are a part of. Dirty Bits, the Dirty Bits podcast, did their season one finale last week. So wanted to give a special shout out to Tawny and George. What a fantastic 25 yes. episode run you guys have had. Uh, you guys have killed it. We're very anxious to see what you guys do next. 
Uh, and please keep us updated on all that stuff. If you listeners have not checked out the Dirty Bits yet, it is fantastic. It's a retelling of some of the biggest figures in history and all of the naughty bits, all of the dirty bits that you may not know or that your history teacher may have left out. Uh-oh. In other news, 4-1 Owned Gaming. I have been, since we stopped doing video game coverage yes. here on the concession stand, I have been on a rampant look search looking for a, a high-quality show with good, intelligent hosts that were gamers that did nothing but gaming exclusively. And I found them about a month ago. Yes. 4-1 Owned Gaming has officially joined the Orbital Jigsaw Network for all of your video game coverage. So if you listen to Andy and I for the video game side of this, trust me when I say they are doing it tenfold better than we ever could. Yes. And every single week talking about nothing but video games and all of the news surrounding that industry. And Dak, if you're listening, we still want to play Destiny with you. Yes. Definitely come play some Destiny with us. Speaking of Destiny, yes. Destiny 2's first DLC got a trailer today. The Rise of Osiris, I think is what it is. And that was awesome for about 10 seconds till we saw the next trailer. Right. <laughs> and then we watched The Last of Us 2 trailer. Wow. Oh, just oh, it's brutal. It's going to be so good. It looks amazing. Oh, this is one of my favorite games ever is The Last of Us game from Naughty Dog. Uh, same guys that did uh, the Uncharted series. Yeah, they don't do anything wrong. Uh, they just they don't make they don't miss a step. So definitely check out those trailers if you get a chance. I'm sure that Dak and the boys will be talking about that over on the Four One Owned Gaming Podcast. Guys, if you want to come find us and chat with us, you can find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash official concession stand or just search for the concession stand. We're the only thing there. You can find us over on Twitter at concession stand. Or you can buy some sweet swag over on our Orbital Jigsaw merch store. You can just go to orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. Last and certainly not least, uh, we want to do more with this show. We want to bring you some special feature content such as long-form reviews, full of spoilers, full of everything that, that you'll want to know, and get our perspective on the movies, the filmmaking process, and all of those sorts of things. We're going to start this whole process with Thor Ragnarok here in a couple of weeks. So our very first episode that we'll be putting up on Patreon will be our full long-form review of Thor Ragnarok. You can find that over and sign up at patreon.com slash concession stand. Throw a couple bucks in the tip jar, sign up to come on and do a promo if you want here on the show. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at Andy Nelson76, also on Twitter. Happy birthday! Oh, thank you very much, guys. And later! Bye! This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out. OrbitalJigsaw.com.